me again is idiot programmer Robert Nagel. We're going to talk about two albums today, one by Many Birthdays and one by 13 Year Cicada. We're going to start with Robert's pick, Many Birthdays EP, called Black Mountain Blue Sea, and some basic specs about it. It came out in 2015. It has five tracks totaling only 20 minutes. This is our first time doing an EP on the show. I couldn't find whether it was on a, on a record label or just independently released. You can find it on Bandcamp, and I encourage everybody to buy it on Bandcamp, where it is Name Your Price. And since it's his pick, we'll let Robert uh, share his thoughts first about uh, the band, about where they're from, and anything he feels like. So go ahead. Well, first of all, I love this band to death and happy to talk about it all I can. I should give a little bit of background about how I first heard about them. I think it was in 2002 or 2003, and I I had lived in Austin for a while, and then I moved to Houston, and I was working for Texas Instruments, this technology company, and I, I remember that I don't know why I did it, but there was this music hosting site called IUMA. And basically, in 1999, 2000, it wasn't very easy to put your music up online. And IUMA was this kind of place, I don't even know very much about it, but it Every, everyone could could upload their stuff. I kind of decided one day that I would try to listen to every single thing that, that was there, at least in Texas. <laughs> okay. And so it took me how, how to do it. You had to do it in alphabetic order. I started with the A's, and I just kind of gradually went, went on. And I started in Texas because Texas, you know, I lived in Texas. And basically there were like two or three songs by each contributor, and – I, you know, tried to look them up and tried to follow them. But like even in Houston, there were tons of bands I had just never heard of. And in fact, I could tell the story about how there was one band called Lima Sugar, which I, I absolutely love. There was a band from the 90s and I found found their CD later and I still love that band. But there's very kind of alternative 90s, 90s rock. And I should say that I did get through all of the Texas uh, uploads, and then I was getting uh -huh. on the way to doing Minnesota. I just picked Minnesota at random. <laughs> uh -huh. And then I just kind of got tired of it just because I, there were other so, websites that were uploading music. and so That's a tall and, order, yeah. <laughs> and I just want to say the IUMA, if, any, if anybody's out there was a big fan, it was one of the most incompetent, hardest-to-use websites out there, and it stayed online forever. Then they figured out a way to donate it to archive.org, so you can find about 95% of what IUMA had on uh, archive.org. And I've occasionally gone there just to sort of find out some of these albums that I vaguely remembered, and I've even written reviews of, of these. And most of, most of the groups don't exist anymore. And in fact, mm. the weird thing about IUMA and the band I'm going to talk about today is that they weren't even called Many Birthdays. They were called mm -hmm. Red Cake Records. Oh my God, there was a Minnesota simulacra that I've I've spent years trying to figure out who he is or where he is, but I'm sure he's very famous because he, he's so brilliant. But Red Cake Records, they had like three or four you know songs, and, and I listened to them, and I just kind of they were very pleasant. They were geeky. And I didn't really know very much about them, and they seemed they seemed to be experimental. They seemed to be like somebody play, playing with stuff in his garage, and it had some sort of Asian element. And then I went to a website, and there was like a manybirthdays.net website. Now, I don't know how I made the connection between the two of them, 
maybe it was MySpace, if you remember that. But <laughs> I quickly got the impression that Red Cake Records was that was just a joke. They didn't really mean to do it th- that way. And so Many Birthdays has been the name that they, they have gone through. And basically the core of it is John Dixon and Sarah Luce. I've met John Dixon twice. I once actually, uh, during an Austin visit, I looked him up and just kind of had lunch with him, I think. And then I met him and Sarah in a Houston concert, and we talked for about 10 minutes. And I can't remember if they're married or their boyfriend and girlfriend, but they've been around for a long time. And the one interesting thing that I know about them is that they went to Japan for several years where they taught English with the JET program. I don't know if that program is still around, but very famous. And I've known several people who have done that. There seems to be a lot of Asian slash Japanese elements in it. I first, I, I didn't know who, who this person was. I knew that occasionally there was a female saying on it, but, uh, and I didn't really know the relationship between it. But the early stuff, the stuff that I heard in the 2000s, they definitely sounded more Japanese than American. And mm. I'm just going to run down a few album titles just very quickly. Uh, and I'm looking at Bandcamp and uh, Spotify, but they actually have a YouTube yeah, channel where yeah, they have videos there. Or, yeah. in, I think in 2003, 2004, they had an al- album called Sub Rapid Express and Emptiness mm. Forever. And then they had this and they they were EPs. And then uh, there was another EP in like 2005, 2006 called Days of Beat, Days of Hollow. That was what I really remembered of many birthdays. Uh, Half the songs were practically in Japanese. I got the impression that the uh, girl, Sarah, she was really into kind of the Japanese culture and the singing, you know, in the Japanese style. I assumed that she was Japanese from from the sound. No, no, no. And actually, she looks like, you know, just an ordinary American, American woman. I mean, well, first of all, I wouldn't know. But actually, they they had a uh, drummer who was Asian. So I I definitely got the impression that they were writing these songs and performing them for their Japanese friends. I wouldn't be surprised. And and he definitely has the aesthetic of, you know, these kind of Japanese cartoons. A lot of these like synthesizer electronic stuff they -hmm. definitely sound like their kind of uh, soundtrack you know to game to japanese video games or something they they did an anime soundtrack in 2013 to uh, a movie called path of blood yeah yeah i was was, going to mention that there was one called attack of the demons and there was another one called path of blood everything sounded like oh yeah i could see them doing that very well john dixon really has a knack for kind of orchestral stuff you know, just simple things, simple kind of tunes that sort of they kind of tie into what our idea of what you see in a movie or something, some kind of very archetypal scene. But on the oh, yeah. same time, it's just a lot of just like just cartoons. I could see some of the stuff appearing in cartoons and it's very dramatic. They do a lot with the little, I would say. Yeah, yeah, goes yeah. straight for the jugular. <laughs> And just finishing the history a little bit, in 2019, 2020, I guess they have access to studios. I, th- I think I don't really don't think they perform that much. And unfortunately, I mean, uh, I don't I, we can talk about that in a little bit. Uh, I kind of got the impression, you know, in the early 2000s 
uh, they were doing, you know, studio stuff. And, and, mm-hmm. and to me, my, and, you know, I, don't, I really don't know, know them very well, so maybe they can contra- contradict me, is that, you know, the, the, he was just experimenting and getting his girlfriend to sing all the, the vocal parts. Uh, but she was mm-hmm. very creative, too. She was very creative, too. And she was, oh, she was definitely, oh, she was definitely doing, the, <laughs> she was doing the poetry. And yeah. there were videos that were kind of artsy. And maybe it was just, you know, they knew friends who did movies. But they definitely... <laughs> It, it was a visual kind of of singing and a visual kind of uh, music, and it was just it was just fascinating. And I really did feel like I was in Japan. I mean, they even put on some of their videos, quick videos of traveling down the Japanese streets or, or whatever. It was just a yeah, delight yeah. In, yeah. in many ways. So uh, most recently, they've done some kind of mainstream things, and I was going to say. If I were to place what we're going to talk about today in the 2015, to me, this is like traditional rock, heavy metal with a little bit Mm -hmm. of electronica. Mm -hmm. We can debate genre very fiercely, I would say. I would say from song to song, they can go from one to something totally different. Yeah, and I think think, uh, kind of what I was trying to say, though, is that uh, they go from Japanese studio electronica to, oh, yeah – I think we need to perform in front of crowds once in a while, so they need to, they need to write songs that actually appeal to people. Well, they came to Houston for some alternative whatever festival, a very small thing, and mm-hmm. I was just very curious how they sounded because I knew some of their songs, and uh, when I heard their concert, I didn't recognize it. Maybe one song I recognized, but the other thing was that they were definitely you know accessible, and they weren't really dependent. There were some electronic effects, but it was it was real. It was like you know, you'd look at them and say, "Oh yeah, they're a rock band." That's kind of why I chose this because you know you can listen to this and you can say, "Oh yeah, I, I can I can kind of get into this." And you know that weird Dadaistic Japanese stuff, video game stuff. Yeah, you can kind of hear elements of it, but it doesn't really seem to to be there as strongly as the earlier stuff. But I don't know how that musicians make money but i assume that they get tied to movies and tv shows and do soundtracks and whatever and and he's he's very good at that one thing that he started doing is he has another band camp page called for bass earth sun which is more mm. meditation music about the natural the scene and it's more slower it's more ambient it's meditative very wonderful and then there was like just another song it was called sun come up and it was just a, a very beautiful serene song and it was sort of about kind of a, a, a dreary or sad subject a song about depression and recovery whatever that's supposed to mean and mm. it was just a very beautiful the way it was videotaped and the way the, the audio recording and i should say just I don't know if it's true for other cities, but Austin uh, definitely provides a lot of facilities for their uh, singers and performers. And so I'm sure like there was public access cable channels and there were free studio space. And I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of studios looking for people and everybody wants to collaborate, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And then in 2020, I mean, I followed their Facebook page to see what the heck they were going on. They they had a festival that they missed because of COVID, but uh, they were the two of them were working on uh, just kind of random small stuff. And it looks like Sarah was singing some po- poetry, some famous poetry by famous poets to some musical accompaniment. And they were kind of minor, but I'm sure you could put them all together and they could amount to something. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so that's sort 
sort of the history of how I came to know them and kind of where I think they were and where I think they're they're going. I can talk about more about what I think their style is or who you, who you could lump them with. <laughs> but, sure. you know, I was wondering what who would you lump them with, first of all? So I, you mentioned video games. And some this will be a reference for people of, of my generation. I would say that they, if you took the, uh, the Super Nintendo game Zombies Ate My Neighbors and you took that, <laughs> okay. you took that soundtrack, you take that soundtrack and turn it into a band, that, that will be a starting point. <laughs> and then after that, I, after J-Rock generally loved Psychedelico, which played South by Southwest uh, at one point, uh, kind of a Japanese psychedelic rock band with influences from the 60s and 70s. I can hear that a lot on more on this EP than their earlier stuff, which is It was called Love, Love, Love Psychedelica? Is that the name of the Love, group? Love Psychedelico, yes. Okay, okay, okay. They're, they're actually fairly popular, almost a million views on some of their videos on YouTube. Oh, okay. <laughs> other other bands, just to list them all off, uh, we, we can talk about Asobi Seksu, which means play sex in Japanese. I oh, think, is that what uh, Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, the Kills, the Kills are very popular. Kind of a guy-gal duet, kind of hard rock, garage rock thing. Uh, Deerhoof, Deerhoof, which again has an Asian vocalist. Trans Am, some others, others in uh, media that they have gotten some media attention for. And uh, talking about their concerts, they actually compare them to Sonic Youth, which surprised okay. me. I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Noise rock, I could hear from Parts and Labor. What do you want to start with? <laughs> okay, so first of all. They're just such an odd combination of of influences and such, and so I and and I I really don't get into Japanese rock at all. But the Sarah, the the female singer, uh, there were two singers that I kind of said, "Oh, that's she sounds like," and I've Takaka Minikawa. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I, 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 I'm, I yeah, maybe her voice more than her more than the rest of the music. She's strictly electronic, and she sometimes collaborates with uh, with Dustin Wong, which is what I like her most for. But go ahead, I, I could kind of hear it in her voice. Yeah. And then the other thing, uh, there's a singer that I somewhat know, K- Kahimi Carrie or something oh, well, like that. I, think she, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't hear it as much in her. She's got a really squeaky voice, and I think she's more pop more pop oriented. Yeah. I think she was produced by Momus actually for a while. So oh, really? That was interesting. Yeah. There's a ton of Austin groups and I, you know, when you can keep, keep track of them and I certainly can, and I don't go to many concerts. I mean, Austin has this festival South by Southwest. They also have ACL, which is uh, a big festival they have that charges a lot of money. Uh, Austin South by Southwest is where they have a lot of unknowns who come and this, mm-hmm. that's their first stop to fame allegedly. Right. Uh, but there's a there's an Austin group that I absolutely love, and nobody's heard of them. They're fairly well known, I guess, in their own space. It's called Octopus Party, and it's sort of the like Octopus Project. Oh, is it Octop- Octopus Project? Yeah, yes, okay, maybe. Yes, that's, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, saw them. I saw them live in Milwaukee, opening up for uh, Aesop Rock, actually, and Blackhead. Which oh, that's, uh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah go ahead. They're in Austin, and <laughs> you saw, and you're in Thailand, and you've seen them rather than I haven't. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> Octopus Project, yeah. And in fact, yeah. uh, I bought a few of their albums from uh, mm-hmm. eMusic as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Austin has all these kind of wacky things. And the other thing I was going to say is it wasn't apparent to me at first, but John Dixon also sings. 
and he has kind of a unusual voice, kind of a Bob Dylan, uh, Tom Petty kind of voice, and it, it, yes, it's very uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And he has kind of he has a country twang, and he definitely <laughs> uses guitars in a way that have kind of a sp- the spiritual side of Texas or, or of the of the South. There's a little bit of that, and there's a band that I love from California. It's called Graham Rabbit, and they mm-hmm. uh, they do a lot of these these kind of electric country and kind of country that's sort of very contemporary, very modern. And uh, mm-hmm. then they also do this kind of hard rock thing. So and and they have a very kind of charismatic uh, lead singer, if I remember, who does all these kind of crazy stunts, and they have very interesting music videos. But mm-hmm. I think I, I don't know what I how how to describe it. Maybe kind of a gothic, mysterious quality to his voice and to mm-hmm. some of his songs that's sort of like they're, they're, they're kind of almost spiritual in a way and he doesn't sing very often but when he sings it's always interesting and when the two of them sing together it's just like a weird uh, synergy in my opinion yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely I definitely like that now in this particular album there were five tracks you know you asked me which album do I recommend and I was like well they're all kind of good <laughs> <laughs> none of them like say oh this is the the one album you must listen to uh, this one is the album I that agree. I kind of think this is the closest to ACDC, if that means anything. <laughs> I think it's accessible and straightforward, yeah, compared to their their other stuff is more experimental and more Japanese. I'll, I'll, I'm with you there. Yeah, and in fact, I'm just going to kind of complain about them for a moment. Okay. Is that, you know, there's, I don't know, maybe they're lazy or maybe they just kind of make all these experiments and never get around to it. But there's some, there's some tracks that I've downloaded from their website, which have pop appeared nowhere there's one song i just love it it's called hungry and basically it's john dixon messing around with synthesizer stuff and sarah is just singing one word hungry hungry and they do it for three minutes long and it's wonderful it's one of my favorites and i every time i i think of dinner or something i'm i'm, th- I'm hearing that in my mind it's like where is it <laughs> it's a song so, with a purpose there and uh, may i say sir you have some odd tastes <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but you know, and and you know, they they just kind of, I guess it's a it's a, t- a sign of that that a band has promise is that they can, first of all, that they stay with it for a long time. I mean, you know, looking at those uh, albums from 1979 that we were talking about earlier, sometimes if you just stay with it for long enough, you're gonna bound to hit the target sometime, and you'll kind of develop in in very unusual ways. And I think that that they've been around so so long that they just have so many interesting things. Mm-hmm. And so many things that are kind of insubstantial, I guess. But I think that originally they got into it thinking that this is going to be very experimental and we don't care about the audience and whatever. And now I think they're kind of more attuned to what people are listening to. And I, I mean, I guess it comes with that's just the maturity of, of, of a musician, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love these tracks. And, and, and actually, I think the first one was the one that it was called uh, that they're doing a, a duet. But it's like the voice, the singing is like not really the most important part. It's more of the electronics and the, you know, kind of mm. the power of the rhythms. Did you get that too? I mean, did you? I actually said the opposite about the first one, which is a title track. I, I said that it's, a, as you mentioned, a duet. I, anytime there's a lady singing, ooh, I just melt. Basically. <laughs> so I, I'm very partial to that. I said it was a mid-tempo track with an easy chorus for karaoke, just because it's the you know the, the title is the, is the chorus, 
it's, it starts out really spacey, but uh, and there's a lot of crazy fills and bridges, and especially the female vocal loop at about three minutes and forty seconds in, just what the heck is she singing there? So it's it's unpredictable. It's uh, yeah, it's a good opener. I should say I'm used to not understanding what she's saying, so it doesn't bother me sure. at all. But <laughs> well, the Japanese parts especially, but <laughs> yeah, other yeah. albums. Yeah, if we're gonna get into the album, it really grew on me over time. The first time I heard it, I thought, yeah, this is kind of ACDC, <laughs> and I'm not, not that not that quite that far, but you know, this is straight straightforward hard rock is what I thought at first. And uh, I wonder if uh, if back to Austin a little bit, why why are they not famous? Is it because Austin has so much else going on or what do you what do you think yeah uh i mean why am i not famous as a fiction writer i don't know okay. i mean i think also i think part of it is i kind of made the joke about austin is that a lot of people just like to go to austin to live there just because of the, the soak up the ambience of the culture and all that and they'll they'll do anything they're they just have day jobs and then you know on the weekends and at nights they tinker around and maybe do some concerts i think that a lot of times in Austin, a lot of it depends on, you know, the university, the University of Texas, which is massive. And then mm-hmm. they have kind of like this Sixth Street, which is where, you know, all the tourists go for concerts. And uh, I I mean, I've never really been disappointed, but, uh, you know, you walk through them through uh, through that street and everyone's everything sounds sort of like country rock, hard, you know, hard rock kind of things. And it's really fun as a tourist to walk through. But, uh-huh. you know, they're not really they don't really have much nuance sound. And, you know, maybe in the studios you're getting more. And, you know, even ACL, Austin, you know, they've had this TV show for a while and they they do some live broadcast from the ACL concert, but also they do their own concerts. They they get headliners. They get – one thing that was very interesting, I used to go to South by Southwest, you know, every year, but I never went to the music one. And and South by Southwest is is known by most people for the music part. I went for the interactive computer technology – and the music to get into the music pass, it was like a thousand dollars. It's very expensive. Holy cow. And a lot of people wrote kind of cynical articles about you should never go to South by Southwest because you'll just spend money to perform there. You go there, the tickets will be outrageous. People can't afford to see you. It'll be overcrowded. The brief discussion I had with John about that is, oh, he never goes to South by Southwest, but they have street concerts that are going on simultaneously that are all free. And that's where the real action is formed. I mean, I guess you get to a point where you're a professional and, you know, giving away, you can give away only so much for free. And then, it's just it's just tiring after a while. I don't know how how it is to go on tour in in Texas. I mean, I, I, Austin is good, but on the other hand, I live in Houston, which is uh, 200 miles away, and right. we get all the people who go to go to South by Southwest. They always come around to Houston, and the seat the tickets are always cheaper. So you know, sure. you know, Austin is sort of its its own crazy world. And so you may be brilliant, you may be interesting, but you it's hard to stand out in a place like Austin. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. So that's kind of how I, how I would explain it. You know, over time, you just kind of get to know people. You have experience doing all kinds of things, and you know, have a little bit more experience performing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it, it goes down to the idea of you know being a regional act uh, versus mm-hmm. being a national act. And you know, do you sign on with a label? I don't think they've made any attempt to sign on with a label. That's probably typical for musicians nowadays, anyway. But could be, could be. I think that's a that's a very strong alternative explanation that I, that I haven't really seen the the first one their their 
actual album is it appears to be on Red Cake uh, Records as their label name for um, no that's, music. That's just, that's just a joke. That's just something they made so up. Then, so it's own. not really a label. So then lack of label support would be my my explanation because they really they really are not famous. Like nobody <laughs> nobody comments on them online, and they've got so many videos and no ratings on Elm Music. I think we maybe you're the only other person who has rated them in addition to myself well, on there. I don't know. And, and and all I will say is that doesn't strike me as that unusual. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, welcome to the world of arts and culture where, you know, we are kind of distracted by the national acts. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, I, I mentioned that I used to listen to that IUMA and a lot of these Houston bands I'd never heard of. And, you know, even when I after a little look, looked up, it was hard to get into. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's sort of like you're more likely to hear about somebody from Russia, <laughs> you know, okay. or Ukraine or or, you know, rather than in your home city kind of thing. Mm. Also, I think it's they're, that they're unclassifiable. We'll talk about genre in a sec. I, I want to stick to the, so I think late, lack of label support, but also they only have one full-length album that I could see. Do, do they have actually more, or is it, do they stick to singles and EPs lately? And is that does that matter anymore? Or I have to have a full album to be noticed? What yeah, do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. On the one hand, if you're talking about Spotify listens and you're yeah, mm-hmm. then what doesn't matter? All you matter is that you put on playlist and even that right. that system is kind of rigged. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't really see much of an effort to kind of create a unified theme around these songs. Mm-hmm. Maybe I mean they they may have titles that are kind of fun and interesting, but they it doesn't sound like they went into it thinking, oh well, this is going to be an album that all these songs are going to be about loving watermelons or loving cantaloupes <laughs> or something like that. They, I I think it's more like they experiment and then they kind of throw it together and you know (laughs) that said i think that musicians you know they're and i'm not not talking about this band at all but uh, a lot of musicians are just behind on conceptualizing themselves and marketing themselves figuring out kind of an image now that said uh, the next band we're going to talk about i think they're a little bit better about that (laughs) okay yeah, but, their, their albums are cohesive. Would you say that many birthdays d- don't make a cohesive EP? Even I mean, they, their songs are all so individual that they don't fit together. Where you go? Yeah, that I, I think I, you know I don't want to sound like I'm being negative, but some of their songs, you know, like I said, the Japanese stuff from the 2004, 2005, 2006, those sort of hang together and they sort of seem stylistically very similar. So I can say, yeah, I can see those together. The EP that I'm talking about is, like I said, they're heavy metal, hard rock whatever mm-hmm. uh, with a little bit of you know haze and all that but uh, <laughs> sometimes if you get too, a little bit too adventurous people can't keep up <laughs> okay on the other that's, hand that's you fair. know d- David Byrne and Talking Heads. I mean, they did a lot of people, crazy stuff. Yeah, people do it. People are eclectic. There are, you know, and but they usually stick to it for an album. I, I've mentioned on another another show that you know, from song to song is is kind of like gives you whiplash, but maybe within yeah. an album, within an album, and then change styles for the next album. I think Black Mountain Blue Sea actually hangs together pretty well as as a psychedelic rock album, personally. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I agree. I agree. But and and then again, is it fair to can you know criticize somebody for having five songs in their EP or four songs or six songs or whatever? You know, what is an album? I mean, how many minutes do you think an album ought to be? Uh, the distinction between EP and LP is probably totally lost on the younger generation. But I, I, I personally <laughs> personally think uh, if if you're over twenty minutes, that's a long EP. But to be an album, you need to be half an hour. That's my my personal standard. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm guessing if I were to talk about like album in the conventional sense, leaving aside Pink Floyd and the Beatles, Rumors by Fleetwood Mac is probably the and maybe Nirvana. Never mind. That's what you think of what you know an album ought to be. 45 mm-hmm. minutes or whatever but right. and punk punk is a lot different punk goes oh, sure. punk comes and goes and you kind of say exceptions. oh it's it's hard to keep up with them and especially because they don't have like one or two albums and maybe it's just a matter of it's hard to hard to do self promotion for an album if you don't have like one big album rather than mm-hmm. lots of small stuff i i've downloaded some of this stuff for free I downloaded and actually he gave me one or two of of their CDs, but I ended up buying the MP3s anyway, just because of random things. And I bought a couple from Amazon. I bought one from Bandcamp and I noticed that they have a soundtrack that I haven't listened to. And I'm going to bite the bullet and buy that too, even though it's not e-music, but uh, uh, just because I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious what else they're, they're getting into. Or, uh, but Multifaceted supporter there. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's called, it's, and it's, in the uh, arts business is called the super fan and everybody is a super fan for a certain kind of you know at least a couple of singers a couple of writers but anyway they, they, they need you i'm sure <laughs> especially these guys yeah. fan base does not seem to be extremely uh, extremely broad so better go deep instead <laughs> You know, I'm not a musician, and I've I've interviewed musicians mostly by email, mostly in other countries, and all that. And some of them are quite frankly surprised to hear from me uh, that, oh, how did you hear about me? Whatever. You know, they're inventing new kinds of joy. They're inventing new kinds of emotion, emotional responses, and mm-hmm. and I really I really appreciate that. And you know, that's what you know each new song is, especially with this band and the other the next band we're going to talk about it's like they're just thinking of new kinds of ways you can feel almost <laughs> yes 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 so this is this is these are both definitely both of these picks are for people who think there is nothing new under the sun and uh, yeah this will change your mind and ironically so. i don't know if many people would like both groups <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get there with the transition we gotta <laughs> let's st- let's stay focused on many birthdays still a little longer you talked about video game rock j-rock a little bit of metal do you do you hear any other kind of genres going on on this ep I think it's psychedelic, psychedelic 60s and 70s hard rock. Yeah, I, I would see that. Uh, they kind of have a haze to them. And I, I was kind of writing down the songs. And uh, the first one, I think, was the one that they had the duets and the singing. And it wasn't mm-hmm. very clear what they were singing. There was one that was sort of, I, I thought, oh, I just love this. And it was Gold Sky, which I think mm-hmm. was the next to last one. And that one was, it was more progression. It was a tight song. It started mm-hmm. out with a feeling and a kind of moved and I kind of enjoyed that and that's the thing I didn't necessarily like about the next <laughs> album we're going to talk about the or the other group I'm sorry to uh-huh. kind of go that way but you, you can't help but co- uh, compare and contrast uh-huh. a lot of these a lot of these many birthday songs are very tight you know I don't I, I never say oh you know they're sort of sort of overlong I wish they'd end the no, goddamn no. 
what the thing <laughs> this is, is these, they, they are very i say tight and yet epic at the same time and uh, there's a lot going on in them and they're each they're very carefully structured i would say too for the for the gold sky album i mean they, they've got a, a violin in it and i actually found that one yeah that's right that's right most, i forgot about yeah, that <laughs> they, that was a little bit more abstract than the other ones so there's they they let up a little bit on the hard rock on that one i think nice and refreshing uh, john dixon i mean he just likes I mean, I, I don't really understand musicians that well, so I'm, you know, spitballing here. But I think in terms of melodies and I think in terms of effects. And uh, John Dixon can really do a lot of very interesting effects. I think of him as a composer, but, you know, I was I mentioned before in an email, there's a, a music producer named Mitchell Froome from the 1980s. And he did all these kind of avant-garde things. And he, he he's more known as a music producer, but many birthdays reminded me of some of his experiments that would be they they would be very percussive they would be very synthesized synthesizer driven and Mitchell Froome found people to team up with his most successful collaboration with with Susan Vega and Susan Vega is totally different from Mitchell Froome and yet I think it worked and maybe you can argue that you know Susan Vega is beautiful in herself after the two of them they broke up they didn't they got divorced uh, Susan Vega went with a very simpler style but you know I thought that their collaboration definitely worked and he brought a lot of interesting arrangements a little interesting like sound effects and that's kind of what i hear in the many birthday stuff there's just a lot of mm-hmm. minor touches that are just are interesting and beautiful maybe on the earlier albums and the later ones but uh mm-hmm. i guess that's what ambient people i guess if you're you know working with you know electronic stuff it's just very easy to push a button and to say oh that kind of like sounds cool <laughs> but I, I would call them stabs stabs of sound that maybe are just there for the novelty of it and are, are maybe don't sustain our interest but you know that there's another one coming up soon and uh what is, what's it going to be? You don't know. It's unpredictable. They, on their Bandcamp description, self-description, they say they're for people who color outside the lines and they consider themselves, quote, an experimental music project. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Unpredictable. You never know. You want to round out the other tracks on the EP? Are there other favorites or uh, you can go track by track? That's really all I want to say. They were very similar. I mean, I think that's sort of why they're ripped together. All right, then I'll say my thoughts on the second one really remind me of a kind of a, a, a desert caravan psychedelic trip with maybe the doors or something. The third one was also, I thought, pretty straightforward and very, very 60s and 70s hard rocker. And they even, they even say, gimme shelter. Of all so, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't hear that, I guess. But Okay. And then so we talked about the fourth one, Gold Sky, and they've got a, you know, a destination in the sky. So there's really a drive to the whole, the whole album. It's like they've got it. They know where they're going and they're going to drive you there so i think this would be a really good album to listen to in the car where you mentioned yeah. the subtleties but at, at the same time there's definitely a strong beat and there's you know strong guitars strong vocals it's all really strong it's, it's in your face it's i wouldn't even call it necessarily subtle just balls to the wall kind of thing again to <laughs> go back to the, the heavy metal and so and so on the last one i thought uh, is an ex- well, the most experimental to to go back to their roots maybe and it's, it's instrumental and but there is chanting and, oh yeah uh, that's right that's right I was trying to yeah. remember which one. That bird, bird flight to uncertainty, I think it was called. But yeah, yeah. There's a lot of cooing and moaning from the, from the female <laughs> vocalist there. Uh, this, this actually, the last track. If we're going to transition eventually, not yet. This last track, I thought, was one that could be on the other album. That we're oh, gonna holy talk cow! About. Okay. <laughs> so I thought it was like, whoa, these are perfectly paired, perfectly complementary albums. Yeah, I, I agree. They they work together well. 
Mm-hmm. So before we move on to 13 Year Cicada, I, you've mentioned in the past that you don't like music videos. What do you think of <laughs> what do you think of many birthdays music videos? I guess I do like music videos, and <laughs> they changed. <laughs> and mind. they're very, they're, they're, they're Yeah, I've, I watched some of those, and they're very clever. And I like you know concert ones, and they have a few concert ones that are one of them is in the studio. The that song that I like a lot. They did some animation. They did some. One of the videos looked like fantasy, a, a child childhood story. It's, mm-hmm. You know, just a simple, very simple animation, but very very much about textures. And very surreal. And I, I definitely enjoyed that. I was watching some Stereolab videos and somebody had said something like, I was in my teenage years in the 70s and you couldn't watch these videos. You couldn't get a sense of the musician's style unless you recorded it on VHS for two hours. And uh, MTV was uh, gracious enough to put the song in that two hours that you were record- recording. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we, we have it so easy where we can watch we can watch things Too on easy. YouTube. And, and you know, the, the, the videos do kind of create the style. They add to the effect. And if there was a function that when you're performing in concert, you can have in the background. There's a group... And I don't want to get too off topic, but there's a lot of videographers pair with these musicians, and they're absolutely amazing. And there's this Russian group called Little Big. They're amazing in so many ways, but they have this young female director who makes these – surreal surreal videos and the videos are just out they're 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 the best videos i've ever seen and and in fact they're so good that they almost make the band seem insignificant by comparison i guess it's an art form you know by now and in fact uh getting uh, moving on to the next one i was going to say i listened and actually i was going to say i you know for many birthdays i never really watched the videos and then kind of gradually became aware of their youtube presence and you know they were very very fun and i so oh, yeah, that, that's sort of what I envision a video for that would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, and there's the the new one, the 13 Year Cicadas, where they have really kind of outrageous, kind of uh, surreal, fun, dance oriented kind of uh, kind of things. Everything's about movement there. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm a sucker for video, but it's the, the time that we live in. Sure, that's that's the new medium. We don't want to upstage the act itself, though. And I, I really do love if, if I don't get to it. Uh, what 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 do you be wearing? Uh, their new thirteen year cicada video. I think it's really great. Holy um, cow, that's a video. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Class warfare on the billionaires on the one percent and uh, <laughs> some nice effects. Everybody's singing. Great, great stuff. Now, to put some names to what you mentioned for many birthdays, though, I overall their video aesthetic is very DIY. And that yeah. you mentioned that they they have got a lot of their travel footage. Their their icon on Bandcamp is a cat, and they feature a lot of cats in their videos. And they're a little bit grainy, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of performance videos, uh, live concerts, and also interspersed with some effects uh, over the videos. I think that uh, the animated ones, the one that caught my attention first was Minawa, which reminds me of a little bit like of a lo-fi Syriac. I don't know if you're familiar with Syriac, but uh, no, very, but I very think, famous I think viral guy. I think lo-fi, lo-fi is probably a good adjective for some of their videos or some mm-hmm. of their, their visuals. Yeah, my, my favorite one is actually Days Like Turtles, which is a fully animated story, I think, with a little bit more uh, paper cutting animation. So, yeah, those are good my, video, my good video, but it wasn't my favorite song. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> 
for example, I think there's a video for it, but it's called Aya or Aya or whatever. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. it's from That's, one of their yeah. early albums. And uh-huh. that, I think it was the songs were in English and John Dixon was singing them. But it's it's just a very typical country kind of ballad kind of feel. That that, and, that song that that song could have been '90s alternative rock. I thought that was yeah uh, yeah. It was like straight out of grunge or something almost. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting, but at the overall, the what what also it jumps out about the videos is there are only like one hundred to three hundred views for most of them. The most that any of them got was one thousand three hundred, which basically screams local following, and uh, it, it's it's amazing how how some things get you know I just can't conceive of you know something get a million views and these are so much more interesting and artistic I think and still get you know dozens of views instead of millions. I just I don't I don't get it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm mean, like I said, I'm in the book world and literary world where all we all like why why are some books popular and others not? Now I I want to I, I should say that they're very abstract and artsy fartsy, and it's not really performance oriented. I didn't I I never really got the impression. Well, I mean, like I said, I only went to one concert, so what do I know? But uh, and you know, there are a lot of fancy things you can do. In contrast with the uh, 13 Year Cicada. I watched their, a concert of theirs before we talked, and they're mm-hmm. they're just really wild. I mean, they're punk rock wild, and mm-hmm. I could enjoy their concert even if I d- didn't enjoy their music. But <laughs> okay, I'll have to check it out. I, I haven't looked. At, I haven't seen any of their concerts at, at all. Yeah, we'll talk about them in a second. What uh, you want to rate them first? Well, this rate is kind album. of a bizarre rating. First of all. I almost give everybody either a 10 or a 1. Either I love them or... Thumbs up, thumbs down, eh? Yeah, something like that. And the only thing is, I think the band is a 10, and I think this is sort of an 8, just because... It doesn't. It's not. Doesn't it capture what I think is the essence of many birthdays. But I still. I still enjoy it very much. <laughs> okay. No, but I, I, no, I would give it a nine. I would give it a nine. Okay, dump it up a little bit there. <laughs> great, great. Uh, we didn't actually talk about all of their discography. We mentioned Path of Blood and some of their other EPs and so forth. But uh, they have a quite a back catalog. In fact, their latest one that you sent me, Black Crow Blues and 2003's uh, 35 Minutes doesn't that it's neither available nor acknowledged to exist anywhere so (laughs) like you can search anywhere for you know reviews or anything and it's it's, it comes up totally blank all music guide only has like two of their albums and eps so coverage in ink is spotty at best this album i i agree with you it's not i don't know if this would even be my favorite uh many birthdays ep or work but uh, it is probably the most accessible. I would I would agree with you on that. It really grew on me. Like I said, I've gotten to like it more. They need a single though. They need to say this is our album that you can play on college radio. And I'm not sure that I heard one from this EP. Certainly, there are plenty of other quirky songs out there, and each one you know has a lot of character and so forth. But I'm I'm just not sure what is what is the quintessential. What is the this is going to put us on the map. This is going to get us on the radio and uh, our music video is going to go viral which song would that be i don't think it's on this ep the rating for then for this ep i would give a 6.5 out of 10 okay very good very good all right all right we're back and we have a little bit of meta 
podcast here about rating music. And uh, Robert, you had some thoughts on how your rating system works? When we were talking offline, we were just talking about how, you know, ratings, numerical ratings are so arbitrary and some, sometimes they're useful, sometimes they're not useful. And, you know, I deal with this. I run a p- small publishing company and I think one of the problems is just getting a review or rating is 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 hard enough in itself. Musicians have it a little bit easier because it's a very, you know, in the moment kind of thing and you can give kind Kind of a quick YouTube comment or or whatever. Uh, I went to a South by Southwest panel, and it was a very interesting one. It was about music criticism, and there were several people from the indie magazines. Maybe there were some from Pitchfork. I wouldn't be surprised. And there was an editor from NPR Radio, and they were talking about curating collections of of music on online. I think it was the person from NPR said, you know, the problem is you don't really get many negative reviews in music. He said, you don't really get much distinguished criticism because if you do, you kind of overthink it to death. And then on the other hand, there's so many bands out there that they don't get any critical attention that if you're the first one to write about them, they may not be the best thing ever, but certainly they probably, the the random band in your city or another country or a different region, you know, you can discover things about them that are very interesting. And, you know, the other thing is, I want you to remember this. This is very important. I think of it from a creative writing point of view is that sometimes I write things and, you know, sometimes I think, oh, this is really great stuff. And sometimes I write things and or, or even read things by other people. And I say, this is not great. This hasn't this is not, this is not a perfect work. It, it hasn't achieved what it's supposed to. But it's a very interesting failure. There was a group. I think it was something from my. Yeah, maybe it was a music or I think it was called Powder Pop. They were kind of an avant-garde, I'll, I'll look it up, powder, powder dove, powder pop, something like that. It was sort of this classically trained avant-garde composer. That, and actually, it kind of reminds me of the 13th Cicada group that we're, we're doing now, is that it, I didn't really feel, oh, this is really perfect and this is really uh, truly pleasurable. But there were enough hits, there were enough successes there that made me say, I'm very interested in what this group sound is like. And I, I know that they They'll do even more interesting stuff later. And so if I hear an interesting failure, often I want to hear more of it. <laughs> and there's no shame in failing artistically if it's if it's interesting, if you're trying something ambitious. And I think that when you're in your 20s, you want to be bold. You want to come up with a very bold style. You may not really have a way to connect with human emotions or uh, connect with audiences. And you you may have some very intellectual notions of, of aesthetics and all that. It may sound a little bit too, you know, prissy, a little bit too, you know, avant-garde, whatever. And and I often think, well, oh, that's interesting, but it's, it's an interesting failure. I, I'm not saying anything negative by labeling it that. It was like, oh, I'm really glad the person tried that. You could even make the argument that no album can be perfect. I mean, even the Beatles mm. sort of annoy me sometimes. <laughs> sure, sure. If you're not in the mood. But so I think I I think we need to keep this concept is one there uh, uh, they're kind of different kind of concepts is one that sometimes it's hard to evaluate a piece of music 
negatively. You, maybe you can compare it to another album by the same type of group, by the same group, mm -hmm. you know, an earlier album or later album, and you can tell how it fits. Or you can maybe say that this song was good, but this song wasn't good. I guess you can do that. But even that's sort of like making a value judgment, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I, I think a better way to think of it is all art fails in some way. But if it's interesting and if it's provocative and if there's some pleasure in it, <laughs> you, know, you know, then then I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. And then, you know, I can, I can still I can still admire it very much. And mm -hmm. end of sermon. Okay, well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you on that another day, perhaps when we're ready to talk about our rating systems in great detail. I, I personally don't think that failure is a, is a, something that music can do. It can be you don't want to hear it, but I think it's uh, you know generally not as huge a production as a movie, which uh, or or a book, which takes probably a lot more time and budget and so forth. So I, I do think that a larger project can be called a failure. But, you know, if music is just about noodling and experimenting with something, then, you know, success versus failure, I'm not going to I'm not going to judge on that. If it achieves the intention of the artists, I think some people say, but uh, then it's fine. But I, I, I'm more likely just to find something novel and therefore interesting. So good enough. So I think that uh, there's some similarities that I think you had a list of options and I think you chose the best one to fit uh, this EP. And I think what's, what's similar between them is, uh, I guess, deliberate avoidance of sing-along choruses. So there's no obvious single. There are a lot of simple synth melodies that are staying within a rock context, however. You could even say that the, the girl in the band, quote-unquote, looks similar. They're you know, kind of... Uh, Nice looking, I guess. And uh, there's a lot of aggressive drumming. They're both uh, made for the live stage, I would say. They're unpredictable. Unpredictable yeah. is right. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't. You never know what's coming, not only the next song, but even in the next part of the song that you're currently listening to. They could throw anything at you. It's like a crazy person is uh, driving the car, and you don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> Yeah, are they going to pick up the tempo? Or are they going to have a chorus again or not? Or are they going to just start yelling? Or what? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, Is it going to yeah. be in Japanese next? <laughs> if we compare the two bands, and I'm going to talk about the other album by 13 Years Cicada, Totem Tongue, a lot because I, I prefer it. The earlier, more experimental albums of Many Birthdays fit that album better. But this EP, Black Mountain, Blue Sea, and Zero Zero Yes, they're very well paired. They're both aggressive and loud. If Black Mountain Blue Sea is the, maybe what I would call substance-enhanced listening, then Zero Zero Yes is the soundtrack to a bad trip or a violent nightmare. And uh, <laughs> both albums are, would be good on a road trip where uh, the driving sound and wildness are more important than the finer points. It's the overall feeling of, yeah, I'm going to let out this energy, you know? And I wonder if, like, energy is the key and what makes for a great live performance. Okay, one of the albums is called Totem Tongue. Is that what Totem the first Tongue one is? is? The, Totem Tongue was uh, the previous album, yeah. How are we going to pronounce the other album? Is it Oh Yes? Oh Yes? I, I put zero, zero. I don't think those are O's. Zero, zero. Okay, okay. <laughs> anyway. I'm, I'm an expert on O's and O's, I'll tell you, for this show. <laughs> and those are zeros, aren't it? <laughs> anyway, okay. 
again, the band is 13-year cicada, very appropriate for the season, and that there are 17-year cicadas hatching this year in 2021 when we're recording this. We are in connection with nature here at Ooh, out of obscurity. The album itself, I can tell you, is from 2019, so it's it's their second album as far as I know. It's their newer album. It is on the Gandula label, which is out of Barcelona. I think the band is from Berlin. I, I would have right. called the uh, the earlier one uh, more progressive rock. This I'm not sure what genre here, but neither again neither of our picks is on all music or has been rated on all music. So we're really diving deep here. What do you have to say about this Zero Zero Yes album? I just want to give a little bit of uh, more information. The lead singer, her name is Zoe Agro. She's a dynamic force. Part of it is just how do we take care of this bull who's causing trouble everywhere? And they have some music videos that are very wonderful and eye-popping and very interesting to watch. And they reflect well on the songs and vice versa. The song reflects well on the on the video it definitely feels like art pop or anti-pop in a way <laughs> she's pretty angry <laughs> well oh, yeah. no no actually actually i'm gonna say there is a yeah there are t- the two albums that we're talking about the first one totem tongue and the one is oh yes and i said initially that i prefer the oh yes album just because it was more rhythmic and more danceable, I guess you might mm. say. Danceable. And it, it was fun and crazy and it was full of energy. The other one kind of went all over the place. Th- those are my initial impressions. And I listened to it again today and I understood a little bit what I felt, but also sort of correcting that. This one, the o- oh yes, definitely had this hard rock feel. It definitely had... Mm. This was a punk rock singer. She was mm-hmm. singing her heart out, and the band mm-hmm. was just as crazy. And they were in sync, but they were not in sync. They were it was it was very crazy. And mm-hmm. individual songs they had a lot of variety in how they used her voice and mm-hmm. how they incorporated instruments. I don't want to sound like I'm being negative on it, but a lot of it sounds like r- racket, <laughs> like noise. <laughs> you know, it's like, holy cow. Uh-huh. And I was trying to think cacophony. of... Cacophony. Cacophony. Perfect, perfect. I was trying to think of okay. singers and styles that it reminded me of. And mm-hmm. I actually spent a, a while trying to remember <laughs> punk rock singers who are females. And is she like Courtney Love? No, not really. I don't think, I think so. you're, they're kind of related. They're kind of relatives. Ooh, and that, I don't know. I don't know. It's a stretch. A stretch. I could hear on, on Bjork's aggressive, angry songs. Yeah, sure. She's she's not aggressive in the very least. <laughs> but uh, but at, at the same time, she doesn't follow any rules. A Bjork song is just going down the highway and it's almost like there's no nobody in the driver's seat and that's fun in a way and she uh, zoe agro does a very good job of that the other one is i was thinking of is nina hagen she was a german singer who did all these crazy experimental shouting cabaret stuff and i said and that's probably the closest one i could compare it to but i found the perfect comparison and tell me if you've heard of a band called pharmacon going to be pretty famous because there's a movie called The Sound of Metal. It won an Oscar. It was about this drummer who lost his hearing. It was on Amazon Prime. Mm. And he was playing for a hard rock band. It's a beautiful movie and on so Mm. many levels. The first scene of the movie, he's in a duet and he's playing hard rock and guitar. The girl plays guitar and she kind of has this really just screaming, emotional voice. 
And yet there's a lot of haze. You don't really know what's going on. You don't hear words. And the drummer is doing his own thing. And yet they merge really very well. And it's a, it's a really stunning piece of music. Before we had this talk, I looked up uh, this group, Singer, and it's Pharmacon. And basically it's kind of a similar kind of group, a very interesting and kind of charismatic female singer who does all sorts of uh, mad things with her voice called an underground underground punk under expressive underground and the videos actually remind me a lot of what we're seeing here my initial impression was that this was somebody who who got her degree in music theory from the conservatory you know playing the flute learned to sing opera and this is going to the ghettos and doing your own thing kind of thing <laughs> to, to get to get her energy out but i definitely enjoyed it she has just an amazing amount of talent especially in the earlier album totem tongue there are some tracks where it's just a cappella. she's just sort of singing random yeah. notes yeah. It's really, yeah it's very yeah you're right i guess it is minimalist uh yeah i i i could, I could definitely could see that there's some cl- experimental classical stuff that's sort of try to be cacophonous or hard to endure. There's a little bit of that too. And it's almost her kind of knowledge of how to use her voice to be powerful, to be bombastic, to be sort of shocking. (laughs) She has great control over it, despite the fact that it seems like it's out of control. The earlier album, Totem Tongue, is more about her and the band kind of backing her up. I have a, a mm. criticism with a compliment about that. The second one is more about just sort of the whole experience of being out of control, of just subverting expectations, and of kind of destroying any expectation of beat. <laughs> and I can say I saw them performing, you know, on the on the live video from that oh yes. And they definitely have the audience on their side, really. So okay. they know how to work an audience. So this could be one of those albums you have to see it live to appreciate and in the studio, because uh, I, I go to go to the critical reception. I did find two reviews of Zero Zero Yes album. One in Fuse magazine, F-U-Z-E from Germany, and another is Everything is Noise, which I think is also pretty well known and they didn't get it fuse magazine gave it two two out of five and everything is noise struggled to find anything positive to say about it however both did recognize that the noisiness is intentional this isn't just noise for noise's sake it's it's meant uh, to agitate to incite a riot perhaps and so on (laughs) and i think uh you know to, to light a fire under you basically when you're feeling down and you just need something to fire you up, get your energy rolling. This this would be uh, appropriate for that. And in terms of uh, comparisons, recommended if you likes. We, we did a show earlier, one of the first I did with my former roommates in college, uh, Shilpa Ray. Yeah. I think her aggressive aggressive songs are very similar to the, this album and would, would fit along with, especially we, we talked about her being able to control her voice. So I thought that when you started talking about that, it's really it's similar, and similar in that sense. Critical reviews compared them to, not unfavorably in fact, to the low budget I've never heard of them. Um, <laughs> are experimental punk with female vocals. When you, once you go experimental punk, I think you've lost about probably 90, 95% of potential listeners out there. And but, I'm uh, not, also, I have a, yeah, my, my tolerance level varies on punk in general, but I, I kind of had fun with it. I like the energy, definitely like the energy. And I don't really know a lot about American punk, especially in the female kind. I know 
people who call themselves American punk and like the Muffs and Courtney Love, the the Kim Deal, uh, Kathleen Hanna, those sort of people. But they don't really fit that perfectly. But there was one song and I think it was on the Oh Yes and it was Ride. Mm -hmm. Do you know the band called The Shags? Yeah, I love the Shags. Frank Zappa says the Shags are better than the Beatles. She was doing the Shag. It was like she had that style. It was it was just utterly amazing. And 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 I don't know if she's aware of it. You can talk about whether the Shags is people legitimately love them or they're just sort of yeah, is, enjoying the joke. Is about that it, is but. that really a sincere compliment? Is the question. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but I I actually re- I say this with with a lot of you know praise here <laughs> because okay uh, I because she's kind of varying the voices are sort of kind of out of sync and you're waiting for it to get in sync with the rest of the band and that's kind of the fun part of it i guess on riot she was mirroring the uh, the melody with her voice or the or the instrumentation was 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 just following her like note for note which i thought was interesting maybe they're improvising who knows who knows but the the one complaint i had about the earlier album uh, which is totem tongue is that sometimes she was going off in the middle of nowhere and the band was sort of straggling. They were not following her in they a way. And obviously, if you're doing an acapella, then it's, it's her song. But there was like one or two of the tracks that I said, uh, this is sort of like they're in two separate rooms and doing different things. And the only thing that where it came really well together was that last song, Fountain, which I just, I thought moved together beautifully with her voice and with all the instruments coming with her. It was just, it was a, it, that was my favorite song of both albums, I think. And I don't know if you had that same feeling, but... Uh, they know how to close an album, I'll say. The last tracks on each album are leave a very strong impression, I'll say. I thought Fountain was pretty meandering, and her, as you mentioned, her voice is all over the place, building and releasing tension. And on the second album, mainly releasing tension, I think. Her delivery is, is totally unique. I, I actually compare her her delivery of her cadence, what she does in conversation with the accompaniment, I actually compare it to Animal Collective in terms of okay. almost chanting sometimes and some spoken spoken word. We could go song by song and, and, and compare her notes on that. I think that, yeah, it's definitely definitely very, very unique. And I think a lot of people are not going to get it. Again, this is for well-seasoned, this is not for your teenage daughter to, uh, <laughs> to mimic and then, you know. Put a poster on her wall and idolize. This is this is experimental. This is out there. So, so noisiness. To, just to get my thoughts on. Uh, ooh, yes, zero zero yes out of the way first. I, who is the audience for an album like this? We just mentioned people who've been around the block once or twice. But really, if you're trying to market this to somebody, who who wants to listen to this album? The the, the critics didn't like it. Teeny boppers wouldn't like it. It's not going to get on the radio. Who who is this for? Well, that's a very good question because you could say the same thing about '70s punk, British punk. I don't okay. I don't. I, people got into it eventually, but for a while they didn't know what the heck that that was about. It's not the same thing, but German rock, German pop, definitely is a lot more artistic and more expressive, I think, than American mm. is. And it's I, I like to call it art school pop in a way, mm. you know. It's, it's it's so experimental. They don't care about being off the off the charts. And man, and as as an aside, I'm a big Eurovision fan, oh. and Eurovision was on a few weeks ago, and Germany got last place. <laughs> <laughs> and they always get last place, even though they have some wonderful singers and uh, mm. and those are, these are purely pop things. But there's kind of these these European pop bands that do interesting things. In America, 
there's a love hate relationship toward commercialism and that punk was supposed mm-hmm. to be anti commercial, but you know, eventually everybody sells out. And maybe mm-hmm. in Europe, there's not that attitude. It's, it's the idea that we need to be pure, we need to do our own thing and not be corrupted by anything. They were doing it for the excitement, for the thrill of it, and mm-hmm. for the live presence. And the, the, the woman, Zoe Agro, she can mesmerize a crowd <laughs> in a way, even though she's kind of short, believe it or not. <laughs> And she's kind of very happy, you know, which is kind of like, <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know if you'd, you could look at some of these punk rockers in America. They look kind of like scuzzy and, you know, maybe heroin mm-hmm. adult. I don't know. But no, she looked unusually cheerful and optimistic about the world. <laughs> <laughs> given her uh, loud kind of singing. It's one of these things where the Blondie group, Blondie is a really good singer and I like her, even though in her older ages, I don't know if her voice really worked as well, but the back in, the band is great. The band is always great and it's all about the band. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in this case, she's sort of providing the, the energy and the momentum and the band is sort of, adding to the overall effect and, and giving it power. And I, and I think, I think that's great. So I, th- I think that she could definitely hit the college crowd. I think that she can just be sort of an underground thrill, whether there's money in it, but you know, Hey, if you could have her come into concert setting, some of this death metal, heavy metal is pretty out there too. And does reasonably well commercially. I could definitely see this one finding some sort of cold appeal, maybe more so in Europe than in America, but I wouldn't be surprised. I've seen weirder things sure thing well see them live anytime where there's more shouting than singing i think again too that's going to self-select your audience a bit in terms of who's going to sit around and let be yelled at for half an hour uh, on stage or on on through their headphones or whatever and some of the lyrics are kind of fun kind of lyrics are in english and what was one of them there was one that she talked about squirrels. <laughs> okay, I've got the chorus for that song, actually. I wanted to bring it out. The chorus to the song Squirrel, I'm going to quote. I quote, here it is. The question is not if you can afford the Parmesan. The question is if you can make your life fluffy. <laughs> what? <laughs> and totally that, ridiculous. That, that, I forgot that lyric. I, yeah, but I, the Parmesan, I remember that one very, very vividly. And she actually, I heard her uh, sing this. I saw in the video her, her do the song live, and she says, I hate squirrels. All they do is they run around and they hide nuts and they don't share and they're terrible animals, something. Wow. Now, I was going to say, do you belong to the cult of Kristen Hirsch? That's sort of my rock goddess from Throwing Muses. You know, you've mentioned her before. I couldn't place her, actually. Oh, my God. Well, without turning into talk about her, she sort of started punk and she sort of... Her twin sister or her half-sister ended up working for the Pixies or the Breeders. And it's sort of like you can do the family tree of female punk rock. And she sort of became mellow and she's brooding and introspective. She's very interesting. You should listen to her. But the most interesting about Mm her is her lyrics are totally nonsense. Mm -hmm. They're kind of angry, sorrowful and full of anger and angst. But ultimately, they're silly. Ultimately, they don't make any sense. They're a bunch of non sequiturs. And that's okay. kind of what I was thinking sometimes when I heard some of her lyrics. That, 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 that one was the one that, that jumped out at me. But they were all sort of that way, the ones that I could hear. Mm-hmm. From 2021, no. what will you be wearing? Well, we, 
what will you be wearing? Which is agit prop uh, propaganda, you know, about nuclear war, about consumerism, whatever. They're throwing the visual messages of the consumerism and all that with lots of fun and lots of upbeat pop in a way. So they're, they're, they're sort of throwing together mixed elements. I guess some American punk does that too, in a way. They condemn a lot of things and yet they're reveling in it nonetheless. I think that's a social critique in the form of a crazy pop song. Yeah, um, and, and you know, it's kind of curious that the other band, uh, Many Birthdays, I don't know if there's social critique. <laughs> They're not political. <laughs> I wouldn't think so, no. So and much. actually, in this one, yeah, they, maybe in the videos there's certainly messages, and I don't think they want you to th- overthink the lyrics too much. <laughs> Probably not. <Here. laughs> Probably not in that case. I enjoyed Swimming, the Swimming, swimming Good. Swimming Good, Swimming Good. I have for that one that she's like singing Hut, Hut, Hut before hiking a football. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And of course, it needs to be a, a mentioned that this is Germany. This, this is a German group, and they're singing all their songs in English, so we, mm-hmm. we wouldn't expect them to have these great lyrics, you know, words to hang uh, melodies on sure. uh, or hang rhythms on. What I'd like to see is where do they go next? Can they tone it down a little bit? Can they go in the studio? Can they can they go acoustic? <laughs> acoustic. Well, okay. So here, here's the thing. If we're going to do the comparison of the albums, I, I do think What Will You Be Wearing is from this year. And it kind of finds a happy medium between the two albums where Totem Tongue was a lot quieter. And I like it more because I'm also a sucker for bells and vibraphones. So that, that was kind of almost acoustic. I don't think they were electronic synthesized a vibraphone or a xylophone, whatever it was. So I, I, I think they're certainly capable. There is at least one track on each album that could have fit on the other album. I think uh, Pillow Ghosts on Totem Tongue hints at what's to come. And the one that you mentioned, Ride, Ride fits maybe better on Totem Tongue than the louder album, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. They could, they could switch, they interchanged. A couple more. The song Picking Your Nose, that's where I would uh, draw the comparison to Animal Collective in terms of the vocalization. But then also the instrumentation is closer to the song Infinite Wavelength by Trans Am, where there's just a really driving synth, really repetitive and fast-paced. And that closer, this almost killed the album for me, my, my rating, whether I like it or not. The, the last song can almost kill it for me because it's really long. It builds ominously and feverishly into an intense noise tolerance test. Um, <laughs> overall, comparison, in comparison, again, to, to the louder tracks on Shilpa Ray's Door Girl from a previous episode, it is a whirlwind of yelling, screaming, and repetitiveness. It reminds me of the siren for the, the tornado warnings in my, my hometown building up in the background. So, I mean, if you can handle that, wow, this is, this well, is the home for you. I used to listen to Cabaret Voltaire for a while, and they used to do okay. lots of kind of crazy sound effects as well. And I used to love that. And that, and yet, you know, occasionally they would have melodies that would do stuff, even though it was haunting and dark. I still felt like, yeah, these were songs. By the way, I just wanted to mention, did you notice on, on the Bandcamp page, they have like liner notes for all the songs. So Each that song. last for for the last song, Dead Horse, mm-hmm. on uh, the Oh Yes, it says, Walt Disney waking up from his cryogenic sleep in the year 2100 and discovering all the world has been completely destroyed by mankind. All the world. No, wait. Oh, my God. What's that? <laughs> you know, I don't think they're trying to be logical here. Okay. <laughs> Disney, huh? <laughs> so, why the, the one that I said was like the Shags, mm-hmm. said... Yes. Well, S-A-D-E, maybe Sade, the singer uh, Sade, or maybe Marquis de Sade, who knows, on an LSD trip in a city park with a Chinese chiatsu specialist. I thought the first one, Color Flood, 
that was a pretty remarkable song. What it sounds like is that the people who don't like it or don't appreciate this, they just need to read the liner notes and then they'll get it, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, for Swimming Good, it says alternative ending for Twin Peaks in which Laura Palmer wasn't dead. She was with another sage. So Sade and the Chinese guy. They're making pop references or references that only they could get. Or maybe they're just having fun with us. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, well, that's, that's far out there. That's another level of appreciation, though, for sure. I had ambivalence. Just as far as what else are they going to do? <laughs> that okay. was my only concern. And I, as I said, there were some on the earlier album that I just thought the singer was doing interesting stuff, but it wasn't going anywhere. Some of the songs meshed very well. Mm-hmm. You know? So I, I, look, I look forward to keeping track of with this band. Sure, yeah. They're, they're certainly up to something else. They apparently got something in store for us this year. To compare with the previous album, why I like the previous album better, I generally do prefer the singing over yelling. I like the the odd interludes, and it's now my number one most played song in my iTunes. I've probably played it 15 or 16 times now. Favorite tracks off it, Sinus Tarot, where there's a robotic, high-tech spoken word, kind of like a war game, or speaking on the radar. That was very distinctive. My favorite song is actually the two-minute Spark, which is really innocent and whimsical. It's a nice, uplifting, happy song. So if her positivity on life doesn't come through on this the second album, it really does on that song. Altogether, a very nice album. And I, again, I love the bells. And like I said, my favorite song was definitely the last song, Fountain. And on the other album, it was the Ride song. I thought that was wonderful. Yeah, but. yeah, definitely a highlight. For, some would say that Ride is the only listenable and actual song. <laughs> If you're you're not inclined to the overall aesthetic of the attitude, energy, yelling, heavy drums, heavy synths of the second album. And you said that Gandula is a Spanish label? Out of Barcelona, so Catalan, sure, right. (laughs) Do they do this kind of avant-garde kind of stuff, or is it sort of like... I don't think I've got anything else on their label. I'd have to look up what else they've got. Yeah. I couldn't tell you. Comparing and contrasting, this one is much rowdier. It's much more an event driven. It's much more energetic. It's much more surprising. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure. There's, I, well, okay. So there's surprises that make you jump out of your seat, which is what's, yeah. what's here. Totem Tongue is still unconventional, at least. I don't know that it's necessarily surprising, but it's certainly still, I don't know what's coming up next sort of feeling. And they do go in yeah. a lot of different directions. This is a good example of a conversation where we can disagree and have a civil discussion and uh, we're helping America heal, don't you think? <laughs> I think Donald Trump is responsible for what the, these guys are doing. Uh-oh. <laughs> we're going to have to edit that out. We're going to lose our MAGA <laughs> listeners for any criticism on those grounds. We talked a little bit about their music videos with What Will You Be Wearing, which I think was their best one. They also did one for Milk from Totem Tongue, which is their most number of views. They have 8,000 views for that, which again is pretty paltry. Is that the one where they're having t- Tongues and it looks really kind of and like that, no, that's attention. that is color flood and that was gonna flood, say, yeah. the opening track for the zero zero yes and that's a video that I think you can't unsee. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it fits the music, but it's like the music is already really intense. Now you have to go and make a, a really really intense video for it. Thanks a lot. <laughs> that's, yeah. Uh, tongues wrapping around each other and look like they're biting each other off. Wow, thanks. <laughs> I needed to see that. So I probably won't watch that one again. Are you ready to give a rating? Sure. I okay. give it a nine. <laughs> a nine. Okay. So compared to Totem Tongue. The oh, actually. Oh, yes. 
I liked better just because it was more rhythm and more, even though it was loud and obstreperous at times, I could hear it in the background and enjoy it. And the earlier album was a little bit more cacophonous and a little bit more uh, choppy at parts. And it was like, oh, okay, you, yeah, it's just, just, fin- just get on with it. <laughs> on that superficial criteria alone, I would give, oh, yes, a nine and maybe the other one an eight. But okay. uh, I like both of them. Definite bonus points for using obstreperous to describe <laughs> something. I love that word. No, and I think I'm just mirror opposite. I'm much more fond of Totem Tongue. I gave that a, a 7.5 out of 10. I think it's a really, really unique album that I could listen to a zillion times and never get bored of. Always hear something new and appreciate something new in it. Anytime there's bells with vocals and a kind of a rock song, that's novel for me. I appreciate it. You're right. I thought it was a xylophone, actually. I well, guess, you know, I can't Yeah, tell. I guess totally forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. So I find it infinitely, infinitely re-listenable. Um, maybe I'm not super huge fan of it, but really enjoyable for me, the totem tongue. And compare that to... Zero, zero, yes. A point in my rating system below a five where I find it unpleasant or I have to skip tracks. And there's a line for everybody, I think, where if this is noise, not music, or I'm not in the mood, I don't want to listen to it, I'm going to turn it off. And this is uh, skirts that line. It skirts that line at times. But I still would give it a six out of ten. Usually, if I, under certain circumstances, need some more energy, need a little pep, a spring in my step, this do it six out of ten for zero, zero, yes. It needs to be mentioned that they have a remix version of those songs, and I think I listened to it once. I thought I liked it, but I have, I don't remember very much of it. But it definitely didn't sound the same. How do you remix a loud punk song? I'm not sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not a lot of different ways you can go, I could think. Make an acapella? I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Gotta, gotta be all in the mix. All right, well, cool. Any further comments on either Many Birthdays or 13 Year Cicada? I enjoyed them both. Well, that's the goal here. We're all learning new things. I hadn't heard of Many Birthdays and introducing each other and all the listeners out there to new things. That's what it's all about. Hope you enjoyed at least one of them (laughs) out there, and uh, I hope to have you again on the show sometime soon. Okay, well, nice talking to you, you, and good luck, everybody. Enjoy all these wacky albums. (laughs) Good night, and have have a good listen, everybody. Bye-bye. 